0: Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League Review Show. It's a show that's partly to blame for City dropping points at the weekend because we turned the game off and went out with 20 minutes to go. That won't be happening again. On today's pod, we'll once more head around the grounds, looking back on an instant-packed couple of days in the top flight, from an edgy Merseyside derby to VAR once again stealing the show. And as always, I'm joined to discuss all this by a guy who sees it all in real time. It's Tom Hi Tom, you well?
1: I'm doing well, mate, I'm doing well. Yeah, lots lots to get stuck into today, so looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. I don't know why I did that in the intro a guy who sees it all in real time. It sounds pretty cool, but it doesn't really yeah. mean anything. <laughs> I know, but I, I kind
1: of like it. I don't I don't really know what it means. No, but it, me. sa- it sounds quite
0: cool, so I'm not going <laughs> to complain. That's it. I, 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 I wrote it and thought, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping with that. It sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start our kind of trip around the grounds with Brighton uh, and the game against Leicester on Sunday. Uh, kind of landmark game in many ways, um very good for Brighton, very bad for Leicester, who we'll come to shortly, but kind of looking at the Seagull season so far, how impressed have you been with Graham Potter and, and what they're doing on the south coast?
1: Yeah, I'm mightily impressed. I think what what Potter's done at Brighton and what sort of what he's gonna continue to do at Brighton, I think, for as long as, as he remains there. is is just mightily impressive and I think the thing that impressed me the most this weekend is that I've always seen Brighton as a team who play attractive football and and they can win games but I've never really seen Brighton go out and blow a team away Mm. and sort of just dominate them in every aspect of the game and score a hatful of goals. I can't remember the last time if ever I saw Brighton score five goals in a game and that sort of you can see within the squad, within sort of within the fan base uh, from Potter himself as well. There's a real belief at Swansea at the minute, at Swansea, at Brighton, sorry, <laughs> that this team I've gone way back there with this team <laughs> that, um, that they can that they can continue to win games, and that they they're going into games as I mean they weren't underdogs at the weekend, but no one's expecting Brighton to still be challenging in and around the top four at the end of the season. But they're taking it sort of on this game by game basis, and. In every game I've seen them so far this season, I mean, they, they dropped points against Newcastle, but that that was thanks to Nick Pope's sort of yeah. masterclass. I think they, they got beat at Fulham a couple of weeks ago. I didn't I didn't catch that game, but from what, what I've seen of them, they've they've sort of, they've been the better team in every game they played, and they they warrant their place in in the top four at the moment.
0: I think the way that the scoring went as well on Sunday was really kind of indicative of. of- the mentality there at Brighton. So they conceded inside the first couple of minutes and then within 15 minutes, they're two on up. But then they conceded again after half an hour going into the break. So 2-2 two, two at half time, you, you know, you've know, you pulled it back, you've got back into the game and then you've conceded again. And yet they just blitzed Leicester in the second half. And and that is, for me, really tells me of, of a squad that believes in itself and thinks we are better than you. We know what we're doing. We're well put together. Uh, and we know what we have to do to win, and we'll simply do that. Um, so that really bodes well, I think. But, I mean, you said there, no one really expects them to carry on, you know, throughout the course of this season in the top four. And, and of course, that is exceedingly unlikely that we do that. But what would be a real successful season for them, do you think? Like, Kind of in terms of what's within their kind of grasp.
1: I think I think for, for Brighton at the start of the season, if you just sat down and said, sort of a top half finish, maybe challenge for that that conference league spot, I think they'd have have snatched your hand off at that and I think realistically whilst there's every, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they go on and carry on playing like this and they really do make a good run at sort of a European spot Um, but realistically I think a top half finish for Brighton would be a successful season and again you look at sort of the spending, they've lost lost Cucarella in the summer, they've Mm. They've, replaced, they've replaced him well, they've, they've spent well, they lost Mope to Everton as well. So, But they're still continuing to win games and they're still playing good, attractive football. And I think for a, for a club like Brighton where at the start of the season always you, your focus is to stay up, I don't think there's any real danger of Brighton going down. But then after that, it's like your ceiling's limited as to where people will expect you to finish. But if you can play good, attractive football and win games playing football the way that they play football... I think for the fans, that's sort of all you can ask for really. Um, I think my worry as a as a from a Brighton fans perspective would be if one of the big six do go on and lose a manager throughout the course of the season, I mm. think Graham Potter's gonna be right up there yeah. on sort of the yeah. the wish list for many clubs and I could I could see Potter at a, at a Chelsea or at a Spurs or a club like that in the not so distant future. So it's if they if they keep the squad, if they keep the manager throughout the season, I think it's very likely that they get a top half finish and it's it's there's a potential there of them maybe pushing for sort of a, a conference league, Europa League spot like we've seen with, with West Ham and Wolves and teams like this in recent years. But I think it all depends on, on if they can keep this squad together, if they can keep the manager. But yeah, I, I think I really think that, that Brighton are gonna be that team that that do surprise a few this year, and throw into the mix that they've they like they've also got the benefit of the fact that the the bigger teams per se will have more teams going up, more players going after the World Cup in the in the winter. That's right. And yeah. won't have as many players going. They'll have more players staying back, having this extended rest in a year that could be as well, it's different to what to anything we've ever seen before with the World Cup in the middle of a football season. We don't know if players are going to come back fatigued, injured, you just you just don't know. So, if there was ever a year that a team could come in and, and upset upset the apple cart, apart from obviously Leicester winning the league, but if it was to happen again, I think this year would be the year that they'd do it. And I think from what I've seen so far, Brighton and, and Newcastle, if you could call them sort of an, an underdog team, are the two teams that look most capable of doing that.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I a big problem for Brighton that has been for the past couple of seasons it is basically finishing their chances but there's only one game this season they failed to score. And as you said, that was kind of a masterclass from Nick Pope. From a neutral perspective, what really intrigues me about Brighton is normally you see a team like this kind of tail off because of fatigue and they don't have the squad depth and, and all the rest of it. And that's true of Brighton, I guess, in terms of if you talk about genuine quality, kind of, um, you know, on the bench or peripheral talent. But they've got some really exciting, intriguing players who haven't really featured yet. And will do as the season goes on. Um, Julio, um, and Saizo, uh the teenager, um, the striker they bought, um, Billy Gilmore. I know we've seen already seen quite a lot of at Chelsea and, and Norwich, but it'll be really interesting to see if he can come through. So they've got some really interesting players who have yet to feature and will do um, as the season goes on. So, the, for me they're a club to watch. I mean, I I enjoy watching them. Uh, I enjoy kind of seen them progress i want them to do well um and they go about things i know it's a cliche but they go about things in the right way so yeah let's hope it does continue but yeah you'd expect them to dip at some point i mean it, it feels almost inevitable that gravel gravity will take hold as for leicester it could be a very different type of gravity indeed it could be heading for the drop um it's just gone south for them hasn't it in every possible way um but and that, that's not so surprising but what really surprises is how quickly it's happened um is it the same for you
1: yeah very much so it's um yeah it's a strange one isn't it it it's yeah i I just can't yeah i don't i just it's all happened like you say just so so quickly i don't think anybody could have seen it coming
0: well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, last season itself was, was looking, they were looking grand, weren't they? And now all of a sudden they've lost some key players, Kasper Schmeichel, etc. and they haven't signed anyone. It's, they're just in trouble. And, and the fact that kind of Brendan Rodgers is just admitting this, which is to his credit, of course, um, you know, he's come out and basically said, you know, a year ago, we were in this shape, now we're in this shape. And then we saw the first kind of banners uh, at Brighton, Rodgers out. So yeah. do you think he'll be at the club? come World Cup time?
1: I, I don't. I think I think it's it's it looks, the writing's on the wall very much so for yeah. Rodgers in that I think we kind of saw it with the fact that he wasn't backed in the transfer window, whether that was due to the fact they didn't have money. We know they had money coming in for Fafana. That took too long to go through, meant they didn't have enough time really to spend that money and whether it was the fact that they didn't have the time to spend the money or the owners were thinking, well, Rodgers isn't going to last till the next transfer window anyway let's make do with what we've got and we'll give a new manager who comes in this kitty to build their own squad I just there's no I don't see Leicester at the minute and I, I don't see a, any sort of eventuality in which Brendan Rodgers is still there sort of by, by Christmas time but I think we I kind of expected Leicester would struggle this year in terms of the wooden They've had, they've had a few obviously a few good seasons he struggled last year with the europa league mixed in with with the league and a lack of squad depth caused them to have a bit of a sloppy finish in the premier league but like 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 we've said it's just it's the speed in which they've gone from a team who were expected to sort of cause problems for the big six and maybe consistently become a team who could trouble that those sides and and force their way into that elite set of teams to all of a sudden now be in a team who genuinely looked like they could go down, and that's we. It's not beat around the bush. Leicester at the minute, if you look at the teams in the Premier League, they does not look to be three teams worse than them no. at the moment, and it's just the the speed and the decline. I know they've lost Schmeichel, and I know. Obviously, Vardy's on that that wrong side of, of thirty, and you've got you've got other players. That obviously, they've lost for Fana, Telemans doesn't really want to be there by the looks of things. It's not been an ideal set of sort of circumstances for Leicester with what happened with their owner, and then obviously the squad aging, players leaving. But I, I don't think many people would have thought prior to the season starting that we'd be talking about them as a genuine relegation candidate. Um, but I just. It's they just look exactly. They just don't look like they're going to win games of football. If you don't win games of football, you're not going to stay in the Premier League. So, mm. I think they're in they're in a real spot of bother at the moment.
0: I mean, it was an interesting tweet from Gary Lineker saying that they seem to be playing a different system every 45 minutes at the moment. They haven't resolved the problems up front, and it was problems that we've talked about on this pod prior to the season, before ball was even kicked, and um, because you know at some point age was going to take its toll on Jamie Vardy and um, Packer and Ian Acho. They just flat out the deceive time and time again. Um, So, yeah, it's played out as we expected, I guess, but certainly not to this extent. Um, But the the irony lies in in the fact that Rodgers, should he go, will be highly in demand as a coach because of his track record and of what he's done. Um, You look around the Premier League right now, let's say, for example, Brendan Rodgers is out of a job post this weekend. Well, the only job available was Bournemouth. And, you know, Bournemouth are much higher in the league than Leicester. And yet, Rodgers is overqualified, you would say, for the Cherries. So, And if you're Brendan Rodgers, you'd be just thinking, OK, I'm just going to sit it out, wait a few months and get a, another prime job. Because um, he will be in demand, won't he?
1: Yeah, you'd, you'd think so. It's it's a strange one, because I put, put on Twitter the other day that it wasn't long ago that Brendan Rodgers was being... Tip to potentially replace Pep Guardiola of Manchester well, City when he left. I it. mean,
0: City genuinely had. I mean, I'm going back about at least eighteen months, possibly two years. City had a conversation, uh, and you know, I'm not speaking out of school here, but City had a conversation about Rodgers, and basically, he he figured highly amongst all the decision makers there. Uh, you know, he was basically put in place as okay, he's going to be the successor to Pep. Now that's inconceivable.
1: Yeah, you well, you think so, and but like you say, it's where where do you rank Brendan Rodgers in terms of his achievements? I know he's won an FA Cup at Leicester and a Community Shield. He he took Liverpool close to the title but didn't quite win it. Is he too good for a team like Bournemouth on paper? You'd say so, but is he good enough to go in and get another job at a top six club? I'm not yeah. sure he is. It's like yeah. he's he's caught in this in this sort of no man's land between being a manager capable of managing an elite team who are expected to win trophies and then being too good for a relegation battle but like I don't really know where you place him if he would if he does leave Leicester I don't know where his next job would be but I just can't see that he'll still be at Leicester I mean I'd be very surprised I wouldn't even be surprised if he was at Leicester if he was left Leicester by, by the weekend I think it's an inevitability now rather than a a potentially leaves I think it's if rather sorry
0: when rather than if I don't know if, if if this bet is even available but um, I'm going to check out at some point the odds on Brendan Rogers to be the next Aston Villa manager because that kind of fits doesn't it you know a yeah. club with ambition yeah. got some money behind him got a decent squad got Coutinho there um, it's all going wrong under Gerard. Um so if, Renger, uh, if Brendan Rogers goes he sits it out takes a bit of gardening leave Few months down the line, Gerard goes. So yeah, I, I think that's a good show. Um i, I want to refer back to this podcast, of course. If I'm right. <laughs> yeah, that
1: could,
0: could be a belt arc. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, let's switch our attention to Merseyside. Uh I really enjoyed this one. Um and you know what, Tom? I last season I a lot of the lads on ninety three twenty were kind of teasing me because I used to watch all the Liverpool games and want them to lose. And I'd get very excited if someone took the lead against them and they were like, why are you doing this to yourself? You know what Liverpool are like, you're going to... I really enjoyed this game and I realised about 30 minutes in, it's because subconsciously, I don't think Liverpool are going to challenge City for the title this year. So I'm not watching it, like, racked with nerves anymore and thinking, oh, please don't score Liverpool. You know, I, d- I don't want them to score. But it wouldn't have been, felt like the end of the world if they had. So, I think that was quite telling, really. That I, I just don't see Liverpool kind of in the same vein as I did last season. Are you the same? Because something's not right there at Liverpool right now.
1: Yeah, I, I said on, I said again at the weekend watching the game. I said there is no way that this Liverpool side wins the Premier League title no, this season. No, I don't think so. And I, ju- I just don't look at them. And this, you can go from sort of back to front. You can go Allison. Doesn't look like the world-beating keeper who's impossible to beat. He's conceded a lot of goals this season. I mean, again, I wouldn't say he's, he's been directly at fault for any goals, but he's sort of that keeper who makes those saves and wins your points that other keepers don't make, and he's not done that this season. Mm. Van Dijk, for the first three games without Matip next to him, looked a shadow of the player that we've all said could go down as one of the greatest Premier League centre-halves of all time. Trent still can't defend. Um, the midfield is very, very average at best without Thiago fit. And Thiago can't stay fit. And if he's not fit, Henderson struggles. Milner should be nowhere near a Premier League midfield challenging for the Premier League title at his age. This Arthur and Mello, who they brought in on deadline day, I don't see anything in the two of them that would make me think they're going to turn this midfield into what we've seen from them in the past. They're not bad players, they're not bad additions, but they're also just not great. Salah's really struggling without Mane next to him. Losing Mane was the worst decision Liverpool could have made. They they had sort of, by all accounts, the choice between Mane or Salah, and I think people are now finally realizing how important Mane was to that team. Yeah, yeah. Nunez obviously hasn't hit the ground running like they'd hoped he would. He's missed three games, suspended. I I mean, to be fair, Pickford made a very good save from one of his chances in the first half, but I don't look at Nunez and see him. I can put. People, I mean, it was daft they ever did it in the first place, but people compared Nunes to Haaland before the season started, <laughs> saying, who will? And you look at City against Palace last weekend, weekend before last, week 2-0 down. Haaland rolls up his socks, scores a hat-trick, we win the game 4-2. I don't see Nunes as a player who's going to be able to get Liverpool out of those situations. I just don't think he's good enough. And I just look at the teams who are in and around Liverpool, who people are saying will be challenging for the top four, and I think Spurs are better than Liverpool. Yeah, I think Arsenal are better than Liverpool. I think if Chelsea can find some consistency, they're better than Liverpool. I think, at the minute, Liverpool's priorities ought to be on qualif- on Champions League qualification rather than thinking about winning the title because they just, they, they, they look miles off it. And I think I have that same mindset as you watching the game at the weekend. It was like, these aren't, they're not a threat to us. They are not a team who are going to win the Premier League this season. And I will stand by that wholeheartedly. Liverpool will not win the Premier League this season. There's not a chance that they that they will be holding that title in May.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. In fact, I think maybe... I, I just fancy Spurs to really challenge this season... Um, Because when I watched Arsenal United, it was in the same vein. I wanted Arsenal to win because I hate United more. But, you know, I wasn't thinking of it from a City perspective at all. You know, in that regard, it didn't matter who won the game. Uh, You know, again, subconsciously, I don't regard Arsenal to be genuine title contenders. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of maybe Spurs, if they're playing and I'm watching them, I want them to lose from a City perspective. And I think that's telling that ultimately I think Spurs are the ones who could maybe challenge us but we'll wait and see on that one going back to Liverpool as you said Thiago they're missing him terribly but he's back in full training now um but what they have to do is just play in one game a week that's it going forward yeah. unless maybe if you're looking at the last three or four weeks of the season with maybe a Champions League semi-final or whatever um you know and with league games that must win you have to just play him one game a week from now on and take care of him because they need him so much as you said they're missing Marnet. unbelievable um and that's really coming through now um you mentioned van dyke there and how kind of piss poor he's been was that a red card do you think
1: yeah (laughs) yes i do i i do not understand how that wasn't given as a red card you look at it and he's he's not won the ball he's come studs down into his shin and mm. it, I just don't understand it. I think VAR is rightfully or wrongfully or well, wrongfully has been in the headlines this weekend with a number of decisions he got wrong. And I think that Van Dijk decision has sort of escaped the net a little bit on the basis yeah, that we had yeah. the terrible one at Newcastle and the terrible one at West Ham, which I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit more in a bit. But I just think, I, I don't understand why there hasn't been more said about that because, as as the rules of football go, that is a Stonewall red card. And I think Everton, because when I saw it at, at real time, I thought, oh, he's, he's making a bit of a meal of that. I don't really know what what's going on. And then I saw the I saw the replays back, and I like I say, I just I can't see how they've come to the decision that that isn't a red card. Having seen the replays of it, I don't know. I don't know what what your opinions are on it. But for me, it was a Stonewall of red card. I've it's... seen this season.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's a red for me. Um, I can see why yellow was given. Um, it's one of those where you think it's more orange than anything else. But by the rules of the game, not a red card. And so, you know, I was I was surprised when I saw the replay that it wasn't given. Um, maybe the ref bottled it because let's face it, if you're going to send Van Dyke off in a Merseyside derby, you will get death threats. That, <laughs> yeah, well, after will. what
1: happened with Pickford, yeah, but yeah. It, it, it its it is it. it it's a it's a dangerous that is genuinely a challenge that that could break a leg. Yeah, that, that is a yeah. that is that is a challenge that Anana is lucky that he's got up from that without a serious injury. And I think it's one of them though, isn't it? Where if he does break his leg, he'd get sent off for it. But because he's not injured him and he's got up and he's okay, he's not been sent off. But the rules aren't. You've got to break his leg to be sent off. The rules are, if it's a dangerous tackle, it's a red card. Yeah. And that is a tackle that could potentially seriously endanger a player. Well, and if, yeah, I, I just don't get it.
0: Exactly the same goes for intent as well. I, I don't think Van Dijk set out to to harm him. I don't think it's no. a dangerous challenge in that regard. But again, by the rules of the game, that's irrelevant. So it was yeah, a dangerous challenge.
1: <laughs> exactly. You'd like to think that no player, apart from Roy Keane and Alfie Haaland, would, would intentionally try and hurt a player. But, like you say, there's no rule to say you've got to try and hurt him for it to be a red card. The rules are, if it's a dangerous tackle, it's a red card. And that is a dangerous tackle. He should have been sent off for it.
0: Looking at the other side, I mean, Everton were really impressive, I thought. Um, And I've got a lot of Everton mates, and they they loved it. They loved what they saw. There was a lot of passion there. There was a lot of intensity. Um, A lot of decent football as well, it has to be said. What really kind of jumps out at me is, all of a sudden, when they get their players back fit they've got a really good midfield just from nowhere. They've got Alan, they've got Decoray, they've got Idrissa Gay, they've got Anana. Um, suddenly they've got, you know, you, you would say yeah. that, that's a top six midfield. Um, are the Toffees turning a corner, do you think? It's four draws on a bounce now, and I, I always believe it. if a team's losing games and then they start drawing games, they are turning things around. Um, would you say that might be the case?
1: I'd, I think they look... They look difficult to beat, which bodes well for them if they are going to be deemed as relegation candidates, which rightfully they should be based on last season's showings, based on the fact they've not won many games this season. But I think you look at them compared to a Leicester who who got rolled at at the weekend or even teams like, I know they came back and won, but teams like Bournemouth who look like they're going to ship a lot of goals and these sorts of your Nottingham forests. I just don't see Everton as a team that, are going to lose a lot of games by a lot of goals. And like you say, that midfield, I think the signing of uh, Adrissi gay bringing him back to Everton, was was fantastic work by the club. He yeah. looked right at home at the weekend as well. I think he was one of the best players on the pitch against Liverpool. And um, that Anana. now that he's got going, again, he looks like he's going to be a serious player as well. So I think my, my issue with Everton is where the goals come from. Yeah. I think m- more so than them losing lots of games by big margins... I think the games they lose, they'll lose on the basis that they don't have. I mean, they have Calvert-Lewin, but he's never fit. They lost for Charleston. They've not really brought in anyone who you see as a someone who's going to score you 15 goals this season. So, I think if Everton, the concerns, rather than I think they look more sure defensively I think kind of Cody's been a, been a nice addition as well but I just think the, the one worry is where the goals come from but if, if they can find a way of scoring goals obviously Gordon's scored a couple now he's started to find his feet in front of goal if they can find the goals I think they should be alright and I don't I don't look at Everton and think that they're going to be in that relegation race, relegation race in May I do think they'll end up finishing sort of a, a, a 12th 13th which I think would be a good season for him
0: yeah I agree completely um, you mentioned uh, the kind of VAR decisions at the weekend, so can I, let's turn our eye on them. But um, one at Chelsea with West Ham <laughs> yeah. with, with Jared Bowen. Now I was, was you know looking at other games or whatever, and then kind of you know about half past five, I just kind of went through Twitter and, and this just popped up on the timeline. I wasn't even aware that there had been some kind of controversy at, at Chelsea at this point. I uh, saw so actually I did see a couple of West Ham fans who were furious about something, but I didn't know what. And then I saw the incident. So I'm coming into this blind. I don't know what it is. I don't know if someone should have been sent off or if it's, I, I just genuinely don't know if it's for West Ham or against or, or what. And I could not make head nor tail of it. I genuinely was like, what's happened here? Why are people complaining? What, what What's supposed to have happened? And then when it all fell into context, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah. I just yeah. genuinely couldn't believe it. Um, I mean, Sue Ness is trying to make a, a name for himself now on Talksport, and talks he by going against the grain and saying it's all to do with his right foot and then showing six studs with his right foot. It's it's ridiculous, isn't it? That wasn't a foul in any shape or form.
1: It's. I think it may be the worst VAR decision that I've seen since VAR was implemented into the Premier League. It's, it has to I, be. There. It's. It's. I can't. I can't think off the top of my head of a worse decision, and it's. Absolutely it's just ridiculous. I can't I can't see firstly I'd like to know what has been said to the referee by Stockley Park to suggest he should go over and look at the monitor, and then I can't see how the referee has then looked at the monitor, yeah. seeing the same highlights and replays that we've just seen and gone Yeah, that's a foul. It is absolutely terrible it's and it these are again you think west Ham aren't going to be fighting relegation but i think for chelsea more than west ham chelsea have got nicked two points there that they do not deserve on the basis of that that decision and in in what is going to be a very tight top four race this year you would imagine two points could be huge at the end of the season and if chelsea end up making the top four by a point and say your arsenal spurs liverpool whoever miss out and the 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 ref, the PGMOl and the the FA have come out and said this decision was wrong. It's gonna cause all sorts of trouble, and rightfully so, because we we brought in VAR to get the basic decisions right, and that was a basic decision that was totally wrong. And it's well, it, it's it it. That's what pisses yeah. me off. It's, it's a yeah. fact. That,
0: yeah. it's, it's not as if kind of you know everything was okay they yeah, intervened they did, they did, yeah. and then, then actually just kind of you know intruded upon the game and introduced yeah. a wrong decision so yeah i get it with var that sometimes it's going to be right and wrong what really really pisses me off is when the game is just flowing and everything's okay then they actually stick their nose in yeah. and make a wrong decision
1: they... yeah it's yeah it i just don't i i like i say it's VAR was allegedly supposed to come in to eradicate clear and obvious errors. Yeah. Now, whether the only clear and obvious error was the decision to overturn the goal, that was the only obvious error I saw in that whole passage of play. Like you say, if it's stonewall, nailed on, but it, it's. It, I just. I can't. I can't even understand where. I don't, I don't know what the foul is. I just don't understand. Hmm. Mendy's come out, committed to the ball, not won the ball. I just don't get it, like I say. I just, I just there's, there's nothing about that. I've watched it so many times and I've tried to watch it from the perspective of seeing where the foul is and I just can't see the foul at all, no matter how many times I watch it.
0: No, uh, and then you've got the, the one at Newcastle, as you said, which was absolutely ludicrous because, again, it's VAR. They've got the, the benefit of you're know, looking at it from different angles and they can't see that Willock is pushed into the keeper and then they, they kind of rule out a perfectly good goal there. Um Shira was fuming on match of the day, and rightly so. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, again it's you've you can it doesn't take a genius, it doesn't take a qualified referee or someone with years of experience to see the hand in the back of Willet yeah. and then the blatant push into the goalkeeper. It's you know, it's if you're gonna rule out the it, it's it's either a penalty to Newcastle, a goal to Newcastle, and in the end <laughs> they get me. It's it. Like I say, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It is. It's just. I was always. I've always said. I've. I. I was never a fan of BAR when it came in the first place. I like the fact that football is about you get those those errors and if unless you're unfortunate, you you tend to even out across the course of a season. You get some that go for you, some to go against you. But on the other hand, I was like, you know what eradicating those really bad errors. So one I always think about is the drug goal at Old Trafford the year that Chelsea won the league. And he was about five yards offside yeah, yeah, and the flag yeah. didn't go up and then Chelsea ended up winning the league. And I was like, things like that, as much as I wasn't really bothered because it meant United didn't win the league, they they are the decisions that VAR are there to, to intervene with. Those really blatantly obvious ones. I think there was one when we played Liverpool the year we won the league in 2013 where Sterling was flagged offside in the build-up and he was like... A good five or six yards onside and they're the decisions that VAR should be there for hmm. they're not there to intervene with but it's intervening and getting the decisions right it's frustrating because <laughs> it's like it's breaking up the game but at least you're getting the right decisions but they're intervening and getting these decisions wrong and they're intervening with decisions that that don't need intervening with and it's just so yeah. frustrating for someone who is a fan of football and loves the sport of football it's just, it's an absolute killer.
0: It's terrible. Well, that brings me directly onto Brighton and McAllister and then disallowed goal there. So, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I mean, again, I, I, I'm not altogether sure if they're correct or, or incorrect on this one. You know, a player was offside, but he never actually touched the ball. But I don't know within the rules, you know, if it was deemed that he'd interfered with play, I don't know. But mate, there's no need for him to get involved in that one. <laughs> you know, it was, it was no. basically across a, a clearance and an absolute thunder bastard. In the top corner, one of the best goals he'll ever score, one of the best goals that Brighton fans will ever see at that stadium for for the rest of their days, ruled out for a millimetre, involving a player that didn't touch a ball and wasn't involved in the goal. And it's why why do, why are we so intent on ruining football?
1: It's terrible. It is terrible. It's and I think I may have said it on this podcast before. I think for me, a, a matter that needs introducing into VAR is exactly what they use in Rugby League, where the referee will say, right, I want you to take a look at this. I think it's a goal, or I think it's not a goal. And then VAR look at it and they've got to find sufficient evidence to overturn the decision of the referee on the field. You look at that Brighton goal as a perfect example. They looked at that goal for about four minutes, couldn't find anything sufficient, but went, oh, we'll rule it out. For me, the referee goes, right, VAR, can you just take a look at onside, offside? I think it's a goal. You tell me if I'm wrong. And if you can't, like, categorically confirm that that goal should be ruled out, then the then the referee then the, we go with the decision on the field. And I don't see why that would be such a hard thing to introduce. Because at the minute, it's like the referee is going, "Oh, have a look at this," and they're going, "Oh, well, I don't really know either." So you go and have another look at it on the screen. Yeah. But do be aware that by going to the screen everyone knows you're going to change your decision anyway because you never go to the screen and stick with what you've initially gone with. So it's just a mess. The whole system's a mess. And VAR, if it was used properly, could be very beneficial. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the the way they use it, the people who are using it. I don't know what the problem is, but there's a real problem with it that every week, the thing that you're talking about the most at the end of a weekend of football is terrible decisions by VAR rather than, like you say an absolute worldie from McAllister, which should have been played 100 times over a match of the day and should have been in the running for goal of the season. And yeah. instead it's ruled out because someone was offside but didn't come near the ball and didn't interfere with play but his toe was offside. It's The whole thing's just a mess and I don't see how it gets any better.
0: No, it's so soulless at the moment. And, and there's nothing wrong with technology and there's nothing wrong with VAR and there's nothing wrong with the implementation of VAR. It is the individuals behind it. They are inept, they are incompetent. And the fact that they're now saying... Oh yeah, but in three more time it'll improve because we got Howard Webb coming in. It shouldn't need three months. It shouldn't need Howard Webb. Yeah. It's just common sense. Just install some common sense, and mainly just keep your fucking noses out unless you see yeah. an error and you think, okay, you know he just scored and he was three or four yards offside and the ref didn't see it. Unless you see something like that, just keep it out. Let football yeah. be football. Aye, hi hi. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's. So our attentions to Old Trafford um, reluctantly and quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting a bit worried now that United are starting to get their act together. Um, are you?
1: I um, I don't, I don't. It's a weird one. I'm not. I'm still not concerned about United potentially winning the title or potentially causing City any real bother with regards to being a team that will stop us winning trophies. Because yeah. I do still think we are far and away a better team than Manchester United. However, I am concerned by the fact that they look capable of winning games of football. And I don't go into games of football now going if they win, it was almost that sarcastic, oh, well done United, you've won this week. Proud of you. Like, yeah. well done mate. But now like genuinely, with all with all due respect to to Ten Hag and, and to United, they they look like a decent football inside now. They look like a team who Know what they're doing, they know what the manager's asking of them. They are capable of defending and they're capable of sort of protecting De Gea since they've got rid of Maguire out of that side. Who, by the way, will not get another looking in that United side for injuries. He's got no chance of getting back in that team now. Yeah, the the signings have actually done well. Um, Martinez, who we laughed and joked about after that Brentford game, looks a very, very good player and looks like he's going to be. Uh, very important player in that in that ten hag team. Anthony, albeit we only got a, a sort of a, a glimpse at what he can do, took his goal well, still does that stupid sort of skills at the corner flag which just infuriates <laughs> me so much like just watching it is like what are you doing? But yeah, the the look the I mean there's still obviously major issues behind the scenes at United that that have been papered over by the fact they've won a few games on the pitch but in Ten Hag with that group of players, I don't see a reason why United can't compete for the top four this season.
0: Yeah, uh, regrettably, I, I have to agree with that. I, I think they're kind of right in contention now for a top four spot, um, which will make it really interesting because the same we be said for several others as well. Um, you know, you, you would fancy City to win the league, you would fancy Spurs to kind of challenge them, Liverpool there or thereabouts, uh, you know, Arsenal, but then you have got United, you have got Chelsea. It's it's going to be really interesting this season. Um, none of this kind of. I mean, I've already seen someone say, "Oh, the top six are so boring." Look, apart from Brighton, you know they're back now. The top six, and it's like, yeah, but if they're all really competing for a top four spot, it can make it really really entertaining. So, I think United are back in that regard. That's miles away from City, absolutely miles away. Um, what, which player do you think or players? have really kind of impressed Ten Hag. I know, you know, he's brought in a lot of his own players, but of the players who are already there, um, who maybe look you know, people might have expected him to, to be on the way out, um, like Rashford's done well, Fernandez has done well, um, would you say there's some players who who, you know, have really kind of made their mark and, and shown Ten Hag what they can do?
1: Yeah, I think well, Rashford would be one of the obvious ones in that it, it wouldn't have been surprising to see him leave United in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I don't think many United fans would have been disappointed if he'd left either. I think it would have been, obviously, he's a, he's a local lad. He's done good things for the club, for the community. We want him here. But as a footballer, he's not been up to it. So if he goes, he goes. Um, and he now has had a mini resurgence under, under Ten Hag. I think Sancho was impressed. Um, he obviously came in with a lot of expectation in a very bad United side last year he wasn't the kind of player, he never has been the kind of player to put a team on his back and win games as an individual. But Mm. now that he's playing in a team that's sort of more competent and more sort of built to his strengths in terms of playing with natural wingers who get inside, whereas last year he was playing with Ronaldo in the middle, kind of forced to stay out wide and feed Ronaldo and that didn't work for him. But he's he's looked... Impressive, and he's he's looked like the player that United spent the big money on last last summer. The player they were expecting to get, he's found his feet. The fact that Ronaldo's not playing has really helped United as well because they, whilst he offers a lot in terms of goals and scored a lot of goals from last season, United as a team, as a unit, just look a lot better without Ronaldo in that team. Um, but I'd say yeah, the, the the two for me that have that have stood out would be would be Sancho and Rashford as, as the main two under Ten Hag from those who are already there.
0: Yeah, uh, for me personally, I'm not disagreeing with you on Sancho. I'm, I, but I am. I think the jury's still out on him. You know, I, I think he is kind of drifting a bit in, in in part of the game. Um, he's looking impactful for ten minutes here and there, but Ten Hag won't want. Yeah, you know, t- ten minutes here and there. He'll want it for over full ninety. So, I think he has done well. He's certainly improved uh, since Ten Hag's come in, but I don't know whether he's proved himself yet. I think the jury's still out on Sancho. Um. Yeah, well, wait and see. Let's hope he, he doesn't. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kind of quickly before we move on, what did you make of Arteta's adventurous subs with twenty minutes to go? Three attacking players, a left back, holding midfielder, and playmaker brought off, and then within a the space of what was it, two minutes, United got the third.
1: Yeah, it's it's a sign of confidence. It's a sign yes. of the fact that this there's, there's, there's belief in this Arsenal team that we can still get something from this game. We've won five games to start the season. We're a good team with this, with that. However, it wasn't the wisest decision. It was, I think, if he was going to do it, it didn't make sense to me why he didn't do it at one-all. I didn't see why you would then do it, having just gone 2-1 down. It didn't pay off. If it had paid off, we'd have been calling him a genius. It didn't pay off, so people are questioning it. For me, I... When I saw it, I, I was I was surprised by the fact he went so full on. But I kind of, I was kind of like, you know what? Fair play, you've got the belief that you yeah. are the better team here and you can win this game. So I, I wasn't opposed to it. I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. However, it obviously turned out to be a very poor decision because they go and conceded less than two minutes after these subs come onto the pitch. So it's a hard one. I like I like the fact that. There was the confidence to do it, but um, I don't know. Is it a bit of naivety on on Arteta's side, on Arteta's behalf, in that he's not a very experienced manager and this and the other? Maybe I'm not sure, but I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world to do. Um, but yeah, obviously, it didn't it didn't pay off like he was hoping it would.
0: I I thought it was brave, and I really liked it. Um, I just think basically that the restructuring wasn't done correctly. So there were gaps at the back, I mean, huge gaps at the back. You know, you've still got the same amount of players on the pitch, you know, regardless of whether they're more attacking in, in personnel or not. So, you know, keep keep three or four players back for goodness sake, no matter what. Um, and then if you want, you know, some of them to be of a more attacking kind of ilk, by all means, go for it. So I think that was a mistake he made. The restructuring, I think, was a problem, not the actual players that he brought on. Um, or indeed the players he brought off. I thought it was a really brave move, and, and yeah, you bang on it. was just such a confident, ballsy move that he's been criticised for it, but I think it's the right approach. For years, we've seen teams go to Old Trafford and just basically, you know, put 10 men behind the ball and not want to lose more than 3 4 Um And it used to drive me insane, and now you've got teams going there, and when they go 2 1 down, say, We're not losing 2 1 to you. And then bring in attacking substitutions on. So, in that regard, I'm all for it. I just, yeah, I think you, the word you used there was spot on. I think it was just a touch naive, um, but more in the restructuring. I think of, of how they set themselves up after the substitutions. Um. Okay. Well. There's a really interesting kind of narrative going on at the bottom of the Premier League right now. Um, there's some real unexpected teams down there. In, in fact, the, the bottom seven is, I think, there's about six of them who you just would not expect to be down there right now. Um, is is there going to be a big club that's going to go down this year? Do you think?
1: I think there's every chance there is. Um, and I think that big club would be Leicester City if it's to be any of the big clubs from what we've mentioned. Yeah what we've mentioned already um, I think these teams picking up points every team seems to be picking up points with the, with the exception of Leicester I mean you look at it's like that that Bournemouth win at the weekend no, they, they go 2-0 down they look nailed on to lose so you go and win and it's like whilst it may not mean they stay up necessarily three points in what looks to be a very competitive relegation battle this year is huge and especially against a team that's going to be down there with you so I think we've not we've seen this natural thing in, or this this thing that's become a thing in recent years that you have them yo yo clubs in your likes of your Fulham's, your Norwich, your, your West Broms, these teams that were going up, coming down, going up, coming down, and there doesn't seem to be none none of the three promoted teams straight away look like they're going to be the instant write off for the season because usually you get one team who comes up. They don't win a game through the first five. Like Norwich last year were pretty much relegated from the get-go. Yeah. No one's done that this year. No, Fulham have been very impressive. I don't think they go down. I do still think Bournemouth will go down. But as things stand, they've got seven points from their opening six games. they played three of the best teams in the competition. That's not a bad return. Um, Nottingham Forest, you'd think once these million signings they've made start to gel, that they'll start to pick up points. And then, then that means is now these three spots for relegation, and no one dead certain to go down. So that that does naturally bring you the potential of a big t- bigger team going down. I think you've got Leicester down there, Aston Villa are down there, Everton, If you, like we said, I don't think they will go down, but they're, they're a team who are in that mix. West Ham have had a really poor start to the season mm. as well. So th- there's every potential that, that one of the big boys goes down. And again, like I've said, with regards to the top four, the the World Cup, again, with with teams that have got a lot of players going going off playing in Qatar for a month and a half and are going to be very tired and we're going to have a lot of games and a lot of short periods of time if teams get injuries teams struggle for fitness it's going to be a very strange season so whilst it wouldn't surprise me at all if a a team from outside the top six broke into that top six this year it equally wouldn't surprise me if a team in no one expected to go down ended up finding themselves in the championship next season
0: yeah, I mean, if Portugal reach like the semi finals or final, that's like you know two thirds of Wolves' squad. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. It's it is it's something teams going to have to contend with this year. Um, but yeah, there's, there's every there's, there's every chance a team who, like I say, a, a Villa, a, a West Ham, a, a, a Leicester end up end up finding themselves at the wrong end of the table towards the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, I said that in all flippancy. I don't think Portugal qualified. I need to check that. Didn't, didn't, oh, I uh,
1: did. Port, did Portugal qualify? I
0: am gonna have to. Check oh,
1: that. You, they, they, they may, have, they may have actually. They may have. Oh ash. no, they did. Portugal did qualify. They beat ah. Italy, didn't they? Ah, Italy, yes. Italy got knocked out. It was Portugal. I really were gonna go through.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so my point stands.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I mean, it's it's too early to say, but from what I've seen so far, Leicester will definitely struggle this season. Villa. Yeah. I think will struggle until they change their circumstance, by which I mean very likely Stephen Gerrard goes and he brings someone else in, because like, you look at like previous season as well as struggling in the tail end of the last season. So three wins from seventeen now for Villa. Um, if it wasn't the fact that he's this superstar boss, you know, if he was kind of um, if he'd been plucked from kind of Portugal, let's say, and was you know barely known in this country, the fans would be absolutely screaming for his head right now. So. I think Villa, it depends really who comes in, if indeed anyone does. But yeah, Wolves, you just don't know with Wolves. They're really hard to beat, but they never score goals. So you have to score goals to stay up. I mean, Bournemouth, I, I, I think I think ultimately Bournemouth, they just don't have the quality. So yeah, Leicester and Bournemouth, I would say, are the two I'll be tipping right now to go down. And then after that, it could easily be you know a big club, a real big club, yeah. So let's wait and see on that one. Um, okay, before we kind of wrap things up, let's kind of look at kind of tonight a big game, uh, yeah. Champions League City Sevilla. Um, Walker, Kyle Walker, looks like he could possibly miss
1: out, yeah. By the look, well, I don't, I don't think he's traveled, has he? So I think no. it looks, it looks, I think Stones didn't travel either, which surprised me. I don't know what the circumstance behind that was because I didn't understand that he had an injury but yeah Stones and Walker haven't travelled so neither of them will play Uh gives Gomez a chance to get a first start I think it's kind of nailed on that Gomez starts with Cancelo at right back which is exciting mm. I think these are the, I'd like to see him play from what I've seen in sort of the, the brief cameos we've had so far he looks very confident, very eager to get on the ball and get involved Um, and to, with all due respect to Sevilla, I think they are one of the teams we would have picked if we could have handpicked a yes. team out of pot two. Sevilla yeah. would have been right up there. Um, they're a team who are going to come out and and give us give us a go, give us a game, try and play football against us. They're not going to sit back. I well, I wouldn't think they'd sit back with 11 men behind the ball, and I think that that bodes well for a team like City to go and, and pick gaps in that defence. But yeah, it's. Another start to another Champions League um run where we will go in as favourites to win the competition hmm. and find out where will where we'll slip along the way. But yeah, I'm just very excited to see Erling Haaland play Champions League football for City. It's what we've missed for the past I don't know well, two years, but sort of in in general, really. Um, we, I mean, we we had Aguero, but we never had a team as good as this built around Aguero, apart from. In that Centurion year, where somehow we we didn't win the Champions League, but yeah, it's just it's, it's exciting. It's exciting times, and uh yeah, so, Sevilla, like I think what you put here in the notes, they not they not had the best form in the in no. the league so far this season, but they're still a team capable of causing the problems. So
0: they are. I mean, they've got some you know, cracking players in there. Um, obviously you've got Rakitic uh, pulling the strings still, but they've yet to win the season. Last season finished fourth, of course, to qualify for Champions League. They didn't score many, but they were really watertight in defence. That's no longer the case. I mean, they're conceding two per game so far this season. Um, And they conceded to some kind of, you know, Almeria and and some real kind of minnows. So, yeah, I expect us to score. I expect to score more than one. Um, And I think that'll be enough to get us through, I I should imagine, to get the uh, the, the verbal three points. Another thing, just very quickly to kind of touch on, um, nothing really to kind of comment on as such, but just to kind of say, Celtic Real Madrid tonight. That's yeah, it, just smacks of tradition, that doesn't it? I love it. Yeah, Saturday. it's a
1: belter. It's a belter. They were very good against Rangers at the weekend as well. Yes. Um, yeah. They, I, like I say, it's it's Real Madrid. You, you'd think on paper, you look at them two sides, and you say Real Madrid a, against a Scottish team. Of course, Champions League winners Real Madrid will win, but. We've seen firsthand as City fans what what European nights at, um, at Pride Park are like. What what Celtic not Pride Park Pride Park Derby is not Celtic,
0: <laughs> Celtic um,
1: Park Celtic Park. Jesus, it's, it's been a long day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I can confirm there will not be Champions League football at Derby County tonight. But yeah, we've seen what we've seen what Celtic fans are like. We know what Champions League football means to. To Celtic, to Rangers, to these these big Scottish clubs. Oh, so yeah, no, no team, no team would want to go and play football there. Um, but they'd enjoy the atmosphere there. But they would never. That's never an easy game for anyone. Uh, coming in off the back of a four 0 win against the big rivals as well, banging form. The fans will be right up for it. I think that could be an absolute belter. So yeah, I mean, of course, I'll be watching Seville and City. I will, have, uh, but I will have one eye on on what's going on there and PSG and Juventus could be a good game as well so there's plenty there's plenty Mm. to keep an eye on tonight Uh, and hopefully Copenhagen can go and nick a point off Dortmund or something and just make that a little bit easier for us before I think they're the early kickoff if I'm not mistaken so um, hopefully they can make our life a bit easier before we go over there and uh, play them in a oh no they come to us don't they we play them in a couple of weeks time
0: yeah, I I need to check on the kickoff time with Celtic because if it's the same as City, I'm I'm gonna miss. You know what? I'm gonna miss the first two minutes of City tonight because I want to just see yeah, that first you know, the atmosphere at Celtic. Yeah, will be it's, it's eight
1: o'clock. I've just checked. It is. It's the same time go. Celtic and Madrid. So, so yeah. yeah, the, the first, I might have that on on my iPad and have City on on the television. Just kind of kind of have both going
0: on. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. Well, that's kind of a wrap for today. Um. I really enjoyed that. And kind of um. It was a real instant packed weekend and there's a lot to yeah. cover and hopefully I think we've covered it. Um, thanks Tom.
1: Yeah, cheers. Like I say, plenty going on um, but happy days. Cannot complain.
0: Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening in. That's a wrap for today folks. we we'll are off to see if VAR have ruled out any of the 32 goals from the weekend. <laughs> At this point, nothing will surprise us. In the meantime, take care everyone, be well and forever up the Blues.